0: Phase the Third, the Rally, Part Three, from Tess of the D'urbervilles by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two. They came downstairs yawning next morning, but skimming and milking were proceeded with as usual, and they went indoors to breakfast. Derryman Crick was discovered stamping about the house. He had received a letter in which a customer had complained that the butter had a twang and be gad so it have said the dairyman who held in his left hand a wooden slice on which a lump of butter was stuck yes taste for yourself several of them gathered round him and mr clare tasted tess tasted also the other indoor milkmaids one or two of the milking men and last of all mrs crick who came out from the waiting breakfast table there certainly was a twang the dairyman who had thrown himself into abstraction to better realize the taste and so divine the particular species of noxious weed to which it appertained suddenly exclaimed 'tis garlic and i thought there wasn't a blade left in that mead then all the old hands remembered that a certain dry mead into which a few of the cows had been admitted of late had in years gone by spoilt the butter in the same way The dairyman had not recognized the taste at that time, and thought the butter bewitched. "'We must overhaul that mead,' he resumed. "'This mustn't continue.' All having armed themselves with old pointed knives, they went out together. As the inimical plant could only be present in very microscopic dimensions, to have escaped ordinary observation, to find it seemed rather a hopeless attempt in the stretch of rich grass before them. However, they formed themselves into line, all assisting, owing to the importance of the search. The dairyman at the upper end with Mr. Clare, who had volunteered to help, then Tess, Marion, Iz Hewitt, and Reddy, then Bill Lowell, Jonathan, and the married dairywomen, Beck Nibbs, with her woolly black hair and rolling eyes, and Flaxen Francis, consumptive from the winter damps of the water-meads, who lived in their respective cottages. With eyes fixed upon the ground, they crept slowly across a strip of the field, returning a little further down in such a manner that, when they should have finished, not a single inch of the pasture but would have fallen under the eye of some one of them. It was a most tedious business, not more than half a dozen shoots of garlic being discoverable in the whole field; yet such was the herb's pungency, that probably one bite of it by one cow had been sufficient to season the whole dairy's produce for the day differing from one another in natures and moods so greatly as they did, they yet formed, bending, a curiously uniform row, automatic, noiseless, and an alien observer passing down the neighbouring lane might well have been excused for massing them as hodge. As they crept along, stooping low to discern the plant, a soft yellow gleam was reflected from the buttercups into their shaded faces, giving them an elfish moonlit aspect, though the sun was pouring upon their backs in all the strength of noon angel clare who communistically stuck to his rule of taking part with the rest in everything glanced up now and then it was not of course by accident that he walked next to tess well how are you he murmured very well thank you sir she replied demurely as they had been discussing a score of personal matters only half an hour before the introductory style seemed a little superfluous. But they got no further in speech just then. They crept and crept, the hem of her petticoat just touching his gaiter, and his elbow sometimes brushing hers. At last the dairyman, who came next, could stand it no longer. "'Upon my soul and body, this here stoopin do fairly make my back open and shut,' he exclaimed straightening himself slowly, with an excruciated look, till quite upright. "'And you, maidie Tess, you wasn't well a day or two ago. This will make your head ache finely. Don't do any more, if you feel fainty. To Leave the rest to finish it.' Derryman Crick withdrew, and Tess dropped behind. Mr. Clare also stepped out of line, and began privateering about for the weed. When she found him nearer, her very tension at what she had heard the night before made her the first to speak don't they look pretty she said who izzy hewett and retty tess had moodily decided that either of these maidens would make a good farmer's wife and that she ought to recommend them and obscure her own wretched charms pretty well yes they are pretty girls fresh-looking i have often thought so though poor dears Prettiness won't last long. Oh, no, unfortunately. They are excellent dairy women. Yes, though not better than you. They skim better than I. Do they? Clare remained observing them, not without their observing him. She is colouring up, continued Tess heroically. Who? Retty Priddle. Oh, why is that? Because you are looking at her self-sacrificing as her mood might be tess could not well go further and cry marry one of them if you really do want a dairywoman and not a lady and don't think of marrying me she followed dairyman crick and had the mournful satisfaction of seeing that clare remained behind from this day she forced herself to take pains to avoid him never allowing herself, as formerly, to remain long in his company, even if their juxtaposition were purely accidental. She gave the other three every chance. Tess was woman enough to realise from their avowals to herself, that Angel Clare had the honour of all the dairymaids in his keeping, and her perception of his care to avoid compromising the happiness of either in the last degree, bred a tender respect in Tess for what she deemed, rightly or wrongly, the self-controlling sense of duty shown by him, a quality which she had never expected to find in one of the opposite sex, and in the absence of which more than one of the simple hearts who were his housemates might have gone weeping on her pilgrimage. CHAPTER Twenty-Three: The hot weather of July had crept upon them unawares, and the atmosphere of the flat vale hung heavy as an opiate over the dairy-folk, the cows, and the trees. Hot steaming rains fell frequently, making the grass where the cows fed yet more rank, and hindering the haymaking in the other meads. It was Sunday morning, the milking was done, the outdoor milkers had gone home. Tess and the other three were dressing themselves rapidly, the whole bevy having agreed to go together to Melstock Church, which lay some three or four miles distant from the dairy house. She had now been two months at Talbot Hays, and this was her first excursion all the preceding afternoon and night heavy thunderstorms had hissed down upon the meads and washed some of the hay into the river but this morning the sun shone out all the more brilliantly for the deluge and the air was balmy and clear the crooked lane leading from their own parish to mellstock ran along the lowest levels in a portion of its length and when the girls reached the most depressed spot, they found that the result of the rain had been to flood the lane overshoot to a distance of some fifty yards. This would have been no serious hindrance on a week-day; they would have clicked through it in their high patterns and boots quite unconcerned. But on this day of vanity, this sun's day, when flesh went forth to coquette with flesh while hypocritically affecting business with spiritual things on this occasion for wearing their white stockings and thin shoes and their pink white and lilac gowns on which every mud-spot would be visible the pool was an awkward impediment they could hear the church-bell calling as yet nearly a mile off who would have expected such a rise in the river in summer-time said marian from the top of the roadside bank on which they had climbed and were maintaining a precarious footing in the hope of creeping along its slope till they were past the pool We can't get there anyhow without walking right through it, or else going round the turnpike way, and that would make us so very late," said Reddy, pausing hopelessly. "'And I do colour up so hot, walking into church late, and all the people staring round,' said Marion, "'till I hardly cool down again till we get into the that it may please these.'" While they stood clinging to the bank, they heard a splashing round the bend of the road, and presently appeared Angel Clare advancing along the lane towards them through the water. Four hearts gave a big throb, simultaneously. His aspect was probably as unsabbatarian a one as a dogmatic parson's son ever presented, his attire being his dairy-clothes, long wading-boots, a cabbage-leaf inside his hat to keep his head cool, with a thistle-spud to finish him off. "'He's not going to church,' said Marion. "'No, I wish he was,' murmured Tess. Angel, in fact, rightly or wrongly, to adopt the safe phrase of evasive controversialists, preferred sermons in stones to sermons in churches and chapels on fine summer days. This morning, moreover, he had gone out to see if the damage to the hay by the flood was considerable or not. On his walk he had observed the girls from a long distance, though they had been so occupied with their difficulties of passage as not to notice him. He knew that the water had risen at that spot and that it would quite check their progress. So he had hastened on, with a dim idea of how he could help them—one of them in particular. The rosy-cheeked, bright-eyed quartet looked so charming in their light summer attire, clinging to the roadside bank like pigeons on a roof slope, that he stopped a moment to regard them before coming close. Their gauzy skirts had brushed up from the grass innumerable flies and butterflies, which, unable to escape, remained caged in the transparent tissue as in an aviary. Angel's eye at last fell upon Tess, the hindmost of the four. She, being full of suppressed laughter at their dilemma, could not help meeting his glance radiantly. He came beneath them in the water, which did not rise over his long boots, and stood looking at the entrapped flies and butterflies. "'Are you trying to get to church?' He said to Marian, who was in front, including the next two in his remark, but avoiding Tess. Yes, sir, and 'tis getting late, and my colour do come up so. I'll carry you through the pool, every jill of you. The whole four flushed, as if one heart beat through them. I think you can't, sir, said Marian. It is the only way for you to get past. Stand still. Nonsense, you are not too heavy. I'd carry you all four together. Now, Marian, attend, he continued, and put your arms round my shoulders, so. Now, hold on. That's well done. Marion had lowered herself on his arm and shoulder as directed, and Angel strode off with her, his slim figure, as viewed from behind, looking like the mere stem to the great nosegay suggested by hers. They disappeared round the curve of the road and only his sousing footsteps and the top ribbon of Marion's bonnet told where they were. In a few minutes he reappeared. Is Hewitt was the next in order upon the bank. "'Here he comes,' she murmured, and they could hear that her lips were dry with emotion. "'And I have to put my arms round his neck and look into his face as Marion did.' "'There's nothing in that,' said Tess quickly. "'There's a time for everything,' continued Is, unheeding a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing the first is now going to be mine fie it is scripture Is yes said Is. i've always a ear at church for pretty verses angel clare to whom three-quarters of this performance was a commonplace act of kindness now approached Is. she quietly and dreamily lowered herself into his arms and angel methodically marched off with her When he was heard returning for the third time, Retty's throbbing heart could be almost seen to shake her. He went up to the red-haired girl, and while he was seizing her, he glanced at Tess. His lips could not have pronounced more plainly, "'It will soon be you and I.' Her comprehension appeared in her face. She could not help it. There was an understanding between them." poor little retty though by far the lightest weight was the most troublesome of clare's burdens marian had been a little sack of meal a dead weight of plumpness under which he was literally staggered is had ridden sensibly and calmly retty was a bunch of hysterics however he got through with the disquieted creature deposited her and returned tess could see over the hedge the distant three in a group standing as he had placed them on the next rising ground it was now her turn. She was embarrassed to discover that excitement at the proximity of Mr. Clare's breath and eyes, which she had condemned in her companions, was intensified in herself, and, as if fearful of betraying her secret, she pouted with him at the last moment. "'I may be able to climb along the bank, perhaps. I can climb better than they. You must be so tired, Mr. Clare.' "'No, no, Tess,' said he quickly. And almost before she was aware, she was seated in his arms and resting against his shoulder. Three Leahs to get one Rachel, he whispered. They are better women than I, she replied, magnanimously sticking to her resolve. Not to me, said Angel. He saw her grow warm at this, and they went some steps in silence. I hope I am not too heavy, she said timidly. Oh, no. You should lift Marion—such a lump! You are like an undulating billow warmed by the sun, and all this fluff of muslin about you is the froth. It is very pretty, if I seem like that to you. Do you know that I have undergone three-quarters of this labour entirely for the sake of the fourth quarter?" No. I did not expect such an event to-day. Nor I. The water came up so sudden that the rise in the water was what she understood him to refer to, the state of breathing, belied. Clare stood still and inclined his face towards her. "'Oh, Tessie!' he exclaimed. The girl's cheeks burned to the breeze, and she could not look into his eyes for her emotion. It reminded Angel that he was somewhat unfairly taking advantage of an accidental position, and he went no further with it. No definite words of love had crossed their lips as yet, and suspension at this point was desirable now. However, he walked slowly, to make the remainder of the distance as long as possible, but at last they came to the bend, and the rest of their progress was in full view of the other three. The dry land was reached, and he set her down. Her friends were looking with round thoughtful eyes at her and him, and she could see that they had been talking of her. He hastily bade them farewell and splashed back along the stretch of submerged road. The four moved on together as before, till Marion broke the silence by saying, "No, in all truth, we have no chance against her." She looked joyously at Tess, what do you mean?" asked the latter. He likes ye best, the very best. We could see it as he brought ye. He would have kissed ye if ye had encouraged him to do it ever so little." no no said she the gaiety with which they had set out had somehow vanished and yet there was no enmity or malice between them they were generous young souls they had been reared in the lonely country nooks where fatalism is a strong sentiment and they did not blame her such supplanting was to be tessa's heart ached there was no concealing from herself the fact that she loved angel clare perhaps all the more passionately from knowing that the others had also lost their hearts to him there is contagion in this sentiment especially among women and yet that same hungry nature had fought against this but too feebly and the natural result had followed i will never stand in your way nor in the way of either of you she declared to reddy that night in the bedroom her tears running down i can't help this my dear I don't think marrying is in his mind at all, but if he were to ask me, I should refuse him, as I should refuse any man." "'Oh! would you? Why?' said wondering Reddy. "'It cannot be. But I will be plain, putting myself quite on one side. I don't think he will choose either of you.' "'I have never expected it, thought of it,' moaned Reddy. "'But, oh! I wish I was dead.' The poor child, torn by a feeling which she hardly understood, turned to the other two girls who came upstairs just then. "'We be friends with her again,' she said to them. "'She thinks no more of his choosing her than we do.' So the reserve went off, and they were confiding and warm. "'I don't seem to care what I do now,' said Marion, whose mood was turned to its lowest base. I was going to marry a dairyman at Stickleford, who's asked me twice, but my soul, I would put an end to myself rather than be his wife now. Why don't ye speak is to confess then murmured Is. I made sure to-day that he was going to kiss me as he held me, and I lay still against his breast, hoping and hoping, and never moved at all, but he did not. I don't like binding here at Talbotha's any longer. I shall go home. The air of the sleeping-chamber seems to palpitate with the hopeless passion of the girls. They writhed feverishly under the oppressiveness of an emotion thrust on them by cruel nature's law, an emotion which they had never expected nor desired. The incident of the day had fanned the flame that was burning the inside of their hearts out, and the torture was almost more than they could endure. The differences which distinguished them as individuals, were abstracted by this passion and each was but portion of one organism called sex there was so much frankness and so little jealousy because there was no hope each one was a girl of fair common sense and she did not delude herself with any vain conceits or deny her love or give herself airs in the idea of outshining the others the full recognition of the futility of their infatuation from a social point of view its purposeless beginning its self-bounded outlook its lack of everything to justify its existence in the eye of civilization while lacking nothing in the eye of nature the one fact that did exist ecstasizing them to a killing joy all this imparted to them a resignation a dignity which a practical and sordid expectation of winning him as a husband would have destroyed they tossed and turned on their little beds and the cheese ring dripped monotonously downstairs "'Be you awake, Tess,' whispered one, half an hour later. It was Iz Hewitt's voice. Tess replied in the affirmative, whereupon also Retty and Marion suddenly flung the bedclothes off them, and sighed, "'So be we.' "'I wonder what she is like, the lady they say his family have looked out for him.' "'I wonder,' said Iz. "'Some lady looked out for him,' gasped Tess, starting. "'I've never heard of that.' "'Oh, yes, tis whispered a young lady of his own rank chosen by his family a doctor of divinity's daughter near his father's parish of Emminster. he didn't much care for her they say but he is sure to marry her they had heard so very little of this yet it was enough to build up wretched dolorous dreams upon there in the shade of the night they pictured all the details of his being won round to consent of the bride's happiness of her dress and veil of her blissful home with him when oblivion would have fallen upon themselves as far as he and their love were concerned. Thus they talked, and ached, and wept, till sleep charmed their sorrow away. After this disclosure, Tess nourished no further foolish thought that there lurked any grave and deliberate import in Clare's attentions to her. It was a passing summer love of her face, for love's own temporary sake, nothing more and the thorny crown of this sad conception was that she whom he really did prefer in a cursory way to the rest she who knew herself to be more impassioned in nature cleverer more beautiful than they was in the eyes of propriety far less worthy of him than the homelier ones whom he ignored chapter twenty four amid the oozing fatness and warm ferments of the Froom vale at a season when the rush of juices could almost be heard below the hiss of fertilization, it was impossible that the most fanciful love should not grow passionate. The ready bosoms existing there were impregnated by their surroundings. July passed over their heads, and the thermidorian weather which came in its wake seemed an effort on the part of nature to match the state of hearts at Talbot Hayes Dairy. The air of the place, so fresh in spring and early summer, was stagnant and enervating now its heavy scent weighed upon them, and at midday the landscape seemed lying in a swoon. Ethiopic scorchings browned the upper slopes of the pastures, but there was still bright green herbage here where the water-courses purled, and as Clare was oppressed by the outward heats, so was he burdened inwardly by waxing fervour of passion for the soft and silent Tess. The rains having passed, the uplands were dry. The wheels of the dairyman's spring-cart, as he sped home from market, licked up the pulverized surface of the highway, and were followed by the white ribbons of dust, as if they had set a thin powder-train on fire. The cows jumped wildly over the five-barred Barton gate, maddened by the gadfly. Dairyman Crick kept his shirt-leaves permanently rolled up from Monday to Saturday. Open windows had no effect in ventilation without open doors, and in the dairy garden the blackbirds and thrushes crept about under the currant bushes, rather in the manner of quadrupeds than of winged creatures. The flies in the kitchen were lazy, teasing, and familiar, crawling about in the unwonted places, on the floors, into drawers, and over the backs of the milkmaids' hands. Conversations were concerning sunstroke, while butter making, and still more butter keeping, was a despair. They walked entirely in the meads for coolness and convenience, without driving in the cows. During the day, the animals obsequiously followed the shadow of the smallest tree, as it moved round the stem with a diurnal roll, and when the milkers came, they could hardly stand still for the flies. On one of these afternoons, four or five unmilked cows chanced to stand apart from the general herd, behind the corner of a hedge, among them being Dumpling and Old Pretty who loved Tess's hands above those of any other maid. When she rose from her stool under a finished cow, Angel Clare, who had been observing her for some time, asked her if she would take the aforesaid creatures next. She silently assented, and with her stool at arm's length, and the pail against her knee, went round to where they stood. Soon, the sound of old Pretty's milk fizzing into the pail came through the hedge and then angel felt inclined to go round the corner also to finish off a hard-yielding milcher who had strayed there he being now as capable of this as the dairyman himself all the men and some of the women when milking dug their foreheads into the cows and gazed into the pail but a few mainly the younger ones rested their heads sideways this was tess Derbyfield's habit her temple pressing the milcher's flank her eyes fixed on the far end of the meadow with the quiet of one lost in meditation she was milking old pretty thus and the sun chancing to be on the milking side it shone flat upon her pink gown form and her white curtain bonnet and upon her profile rendering it keen as a cameo cut from the dun background of the cow she did not know that clare had followed her round and that he sat under his cow watching her the stillness of her head and features was remarkable she might have been in a trance, her eyes open yet unseeing. Nothing in the picture moved but Old Pretty's tail and Tessa's pink hands, the latter so gently as to be a rhythmic pulsation only, as if they were obeying a reflex stimulus, like a beating heart. How very lovable her face was to him! Yet there was nothing ethereal about it, all was real vitality, real warmth, real incarnation. And it was in her mouth that this culminated, eyes almost as deep and speaking he had seen before, and cheeks perhaps as fair, brows as arched, a chin and throat almost as shapely. Her mouth he had seen nothing to equal on the face of the earth. To a young man with the least fire in him, that little upward lift in the middle of her red top lip was distracting, infatuating, maddening. He had never before seen a woman's lips and teeth which forced upon his mind with such persistent iteration the old Elizabethan simile of roses filled with snow. Perfect! he, as a lover, might have called them off-hand. But no, they were not perfect, and it was the touch of the imperfect upon the would-be perfect that gave the sweetness, because it was that which gave the humanity. Clare had studied the curves of those lips so many times that he could reproduce them mentally with ease, and now as they again confronted him clothed with a colour and life, they sent an aura over his flesh, a breeze through his nerves which well-nigh produced a qualm, and actually produced, by some mysterious physiological process, a prosaic sneeze. She then became conscious that he was observing her, but she would not show it by any change of position though the curious dreamlike fixity disappeared, and a close eye might easily have discerned that the rosiness of her face deepened, and then faded, till only a tinge of it was left. The influence that had passed into Clare like an excitation from the sky did not die down. Resolutions, reticences, prudences, fears fell back like a defeated battalion. He jumped up from his seat, and, leaving his pail to be kicked over if the Milcher had such a mind, went quickly towards the desire of his eyes and kneeling down beside her clasped her in his arms tess was taken completely by surprise and she yielded to his embrace with unreflecting inevitableness having seen that it was really her lover who had advanced and no one else her lips parted and she sank upon him in her momentary joy with something very like an ecstatic cry He had been on the point of kissing that too tempting mouth, but he checked himself, for tender conscience' sake. "'Forgive me, Tess, dear,' he whispered. "'I ought to have asked. I I did not know what I was doing. I do not mean it as a liberty. I am devoted to you, Tessie, dearest, in all sincerity.' Old Pretty by this time had looked round, puzzled and seeing two people crouching under her where, by immemorial custom, there should have been only one, lifted her hind leg crossly. "'She is angry. She doesn't know what we mean. She'll kick over the milk!' exclaimed Tess, gently striving to free herself, her eyes concerned with the quadruped's actions, her heart more deeply concerned with herself and Clare. She slipped up from her seat, and they stood together, his arm still encircling her. Tess's eyes, fixed on distance, began to fill. "'Why do you cry, my darling?' he said. "'Oh! I don't know,' she murmured. As she saw and felt more clearly the position she was in, she became agitated and tried to withdraw. "'Well, I have betrayed my feeling, Tess, at last,' said he, with a curious sigh of desperation, signifying unconsciously that his heart had outrun his judgment that I love you, dearly and truly, I need not say. But I—it shall go no further now. It distresses you, and I am as surprised as you are. You will not think I have presumed upon your defenselessness, then too quick and unreflecting, will you?" I can can't tell." He allowed her to free herself, and in a minute or two the milking of each was resumed nobody had beheld the gravitation of the two into one, and when the dairyman came round by that screened nook a few minutes later, there was not a sign to reveal that the markedly sundered pair were more to each other than mere acquaintance. Yet in the interval since Crick's last view of them, something had occurred which changed the pivot of the universe for their two natures—something which, had he known its quality, the dairyman would have despised as a practical man yet which was based upon a more stubborn and restless tendency than a whole heap of so-called practicalities a veil had been whisked aside the tract of each one's outlook was to have a new horizon thenceforward for a short time or for a long end of phase the third